All right, everybody, mm -hmm. welcome to the May 30th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Dan here with me today. We may or may not have a Chris. He's kind of floating in the background, unable to speak. Howdy, howdy. Uh, we're, you know, sheltering in place again. <laughs> Actually, I, I suppose up in your neck of the woods, it's not too, too bad. But Seattle and Portland are both under emergency curfews. There have been a outbreak of riots and protest across the country and uh things are getting spicy i guess would be the best way to say it we uh we kind of talked about one of the proximate causes last week uh briefly ahmed arbery a young man who was murdered while jogging in georgia uh since then there has been a man who died in police custody in minneapolis uh after officers kneeled on his back uh, for eight and a half minutes or something like that uh, until he died of asphyxiation. Uh, this has led to really the resurfacing or the recentering, I guess I would say, of the Black Lives Matter conversation in the American public. And uh, we have a large scale mass outbreak of civic violence across the country. Yeah, that's really just emerged in the last probably, what would you say, really the last two days that it's really yeah. kind of gotten to that point. So since Thursday. Uh, so it began, I think, the the violence at least in Los Angeles and Minneapolis. Uh, three nights ago now, two nights ago, uh, you know, not counting tonight. And right. that that led to precincts in Minneapolis being burned down, police precincts, uh, stores and police uh, offices in Los Angeles set on fire and, and burnt. Uh, and then the next night it spread out rapidly from there into a number of other cities. Atlanta was particularly hard hit. CNN, I don't know if you saw the footage, was carrying live uh, camera work from their own lobby. Where, right, as that was stormed, yeah. yeah where protesters were uh, literally firing uh, fireworks at police. They were chucking them into the line, and they were exploding on live TV all over people. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen, uh, yeah. at least carried by the news coverage. They were literally filming from their own hallway, and at one point had to retreat farther upstairs. Yeah, <laughs> that's certainly I mean, some commitment to keep things going rather than fleeing the scene, but... Yeah, I mean, that is really, really wild and not not the sort of images we're used to, even in the past when we've had pretty significant civil unrest that, that stands out. Mm -hmm. uh, Portland joined the club last night, uh, a largely peaceful demonstration, then marched several miles into downtown, at which point it... Uh, uh, breached the uh, Multnomah County Justice Center and began lighting it on fire. They also breached a Chase Bank and lit it on fire. They breached a Capital One Bank and a Wells Fargo Bank downtown and lit off fireworks inside. Uh, just just kind of went crazy. They looted the Pioneer Place Mall. Uh, windows are smashed all over the place. The Apple Store is going to be closed for construction for a couple months again. It was looted during the protest after Trump. It's now been looted again. Um, just, just wild. Like the the Apple Store alone has got to be millions of dollars worth of hardware. <laughs> just mm -hmm. sure was grabbed. 
part of that is Apple overcharging for their products, but also just <laughs> these places were picked clean. Uh, there was footage out of Seattle today, which is currently rioting in a civil emergency, an emergency curfew is in place, and the National Guard is being deployed. Uh, they they were videos of people like, and I'll, I'll give them this, it was very altruistic. These people breached a uh, Nordstrom's and were climbing in, and they were grabbing all the, the jewels and all the uh, like expensive perfumes and whatnot, and were handing them out to people. It was a couple like 19-year-old guys, people who wouldn't give two shits about the the jewels or the scents or anything and they were passing them out to people who did it was a weirdly altruistic moment very dark night rises yeah, yeah. It, exactly <laughs> yeah i think this whole thing has that feeling hey we got a chris oh, wow we got chris <laughs> oh wow i i had to do the completely shut down and reboot solution <laughs> right i don't know what skype's issue was but <laughs> yeah skype is a terrible piece of software <laughs> we've had nothing but issues with it uh we started this off by saying we uh and specifically you actually covered this uh the impetus to this a little bit last week uh it started with ahmed arbery and then um do you want to give mm. us some more details about what happened with the gentleman from minneapolis you seem to be pretty tuned into this yeah well i i mean also i think it was really like a uh a three-parter, right? There was Ahmed Arbery, and then there was, um, and unfortunately, her name is escaping me now. I believe it may have been Brianna. The woman in Louisville? Yeah, the woman in Louisville, who was yeah. shot in her own home by police raiding the wrong place. And she wasn't, like, a random person. She was an EMT. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think those two, you know, had already charged up the background. So that really made like the what would have already been an egregious incident probably even more sensitized and even more ready to become what it's become clearly a nationwide catalyst of something i was gonna say there was also it feels like a million years ago but that incident over memorial day weekend or the uh woman in central park was the, oh, yeah. that viral moment with the woman you know tried to basically kill a man for photographing her with her dog off leash by having the cops come in to yeah basically right, you know, right. kill him so, on false pretenses so i mean all of this kind of um the ahmed arbery thing actually happened much earlier in the year but the the publicity for it and the resolution of actually leading to, to criminal charges and these other things all happen in basically the space of a week yeah which as we know can happen in america at any point because things like this are always happening in america the um, the protests have really come at a, a very inopportune time, to be honest, in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. To take a, a local angle on this, our, our mayor was not in town. Uh, Ted Wheeler's mother is actively dying. <laughs> and, and he had left the, the city to, to spend her last moments with her, with, with family surrounding her. And he canceled that. He, he came back to the city because it's it's falling apart and, and whatnot uh and it, that really just seems like a kind of a metaphor for everything else these this unrest is happening at a time where just everything around it is not set up in a way to handle it there are are no like levels of support here there's no 
really no effective government action to like meet people's demands. It, it just seems so. Mm. I'm used to there being somebody to be held accountable. I guess mm-hmm. we don't really have it now. Yeah, well, not only do we not have that, we actually have the leader of our whole country saying that looters need to be shot. Yeah, actively trying to make it worse. <laughs> yeah. Even McConnell took a better line than this than Trump did. <laughs> when the fuck mm-hmm. does that happen? I That was really weird. I, I also find it vaguely unnerving, like uh, JJ mentioned on the group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's his? What's he up to exactly? I, I really, I'm finding a hard time to process a lot of this because, it, on one hand, I understand the anger, and uh, I understand the the feelings of people out there. But it seems a lot of this has been very poorly directed. One of the first communities hit. It was uh, Lake Street in Minneapolis. It, it basically burned to the ground. That's a uh, kind of a a black downtown in Minneapolis. It's a commercial area that has a high prevalence of of people of color owned businesses owing to the fact that, you know, for decades they weren't allowed any real estate downtown with the white businesses. Yeah. Um, And those are the communities that I think, you know, can least afford to absorb some of this anger and also are, you know, the least proximal cause of the issues that that people are are complaining about, I just yeah. But I think that's also not at all uncommon. I mean, Watts was like that. Um, the yeah. Rodney King riots were like that. You know, people lash out where they are, and where they are is their neighborhood, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. That actually that hit me really big. Somebody uh, shared on Twitter uh, today, and I saw a video of uh, you know a somewhat elderly black man in like his late 50s early 60s during the the 92 la riots in the middle of the protest like crying on the street watching his bill his his business be burned down like screaming at people that you know don't burn down my building i didn't have nothing to do this i came from the ghetto yeah yeah so you're, you're right it's an unfortunate side effect but that does seem to be what happens yeah, and then I think there's this other layer. It kind of sounded like you were talking about this a little when I came in, but like there's a lot of uh, I think there's a lot of floating animus, you know, left over from the Great Recession, left over from this new bout of unemployment and business shutdowns we've been having, and and like I don't think people are actually crazy for wanting to burn down Target and Apple stores. <laughs> like, again, it's it's not the actual solution, right? But it is the nearest symbol they can reach. Yeah, I have a hard time getting worked up about the actual property damage. It's about the effects to people's lives, and quite frankly, a commercially franchised yeah. Apple store that's one of you know 15,000 across the world and represents right. negligible income to a giant multinational company that is, depending on their stock price, the richest in the world at any given time. Uh, and, you know, I value much more highly, you know, somebody who has a sole proprietorship where like their income is the, the hardware store they run in their neighborhood or whatnot that it's hard to 
reconcile conflicting feelings around that. Like, I don't actually care that much if somebody's looting, uh, you know, a Nordstrom's or whatnot. Whereas right. I do feel for, you know, the gentleman in the video I mentioned who was watching his, like, general store that he's owned for 40 years and built his life around burned to the ground when he's, you know, just another black guy from the neighborhood who's lived there all his life. Yeah, and the fact that this just keeps happening again and again. I don't know. I would really like something fundamental to change. And I guess I have some, I don't know. I've been thinking about today, like the uh, the fear I have of whether this will fuel a backlash and how much that makes sense. You know, I keep thinking about like 1968 and all the unrest and how that certainly played some part in Nixon getting elected. Yeah, and I feel- Or like even Trump's just four years ago in Trump, yeah. I feel like Trump's latched onto that too. Like he feels his chance of reelection is slipping away and the only thing to save it is that, is the Nixon strategy is you know, engineering these riots if they won't happen naturally. Yeah. I mean, that, that gets a little conspiratorial for me to be, you know, altogether comfortable with, but it fits right yeah. with the, the, like, basest, lowest common denominator style that, you know, is so prevalent in, in that strain of politics. Well, yeah, and the, the actual, his Twitter quote came right from that era. The, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Mm -hmm. I guess we should mention that because uh, Twitter took down that tweet. Sort of. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they've eliminated nearly every way to interact with it, and it's not shown by default. They, they include a giant banner uh, over the tweet that explains how it runs afoul of their policies. It's reprehensible, but in the interest of, like, the public since it's the president of the united states if you want to you can you know click here to see it and then you're not allowed to like it you're not allowed to retweet it but you can retweet with comment where like you know you say your thing and then there's a link to the tweet underneath it usually they like actually show the tweet underneath it uh they won't be doing that it'll just link to the, the banner that then tells you you can click through but yeah trump was pissed Yeah, I thought I thought actually he would have gotten even more volatile than that. But uh, I mean, he said that he's working with the attorney general to explore options to legally shut these companies down. That seems to be pretty extreme to me. Maybe my standards are a little low. But... <laughs> also, self-defeating. He's the single largest. He's the largest Twitter account that exists, right? I mean. That's kind of his main method of getting his message out a lot is of the time. Is he the largest Twitter account that exists? I believe he is. I don't think there's anyone with more followers. I'd have You're to check. You're honestly telling me that more people follow Trump than like fucking Lady Gaga or Taylor Swift or some shit? Yep. I kind of hope that's not true. true but... Let's see here. Okay, no. Barack Obama is currently the most followed. I Well, you know, Barack Obama makes more sense, but I still cannot believe it's not like a pop culture figure. 
No, it's well, Justin Bieber is second. Uh, <laughs> Trump, Trump is eighth, uh, just behind Lady Gaga. Oh, hey, I was right. Lady Gaga had more followers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess Obama's first, and then the next six are all pop culture, and then Trump is eighth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. Um, what I was thinking about earlier in the week is the executive order that he signed is the really funny thing about that is, you know, it's unlikely to pass any kind of legal muster. But if it did, the most likely result would be that social media sites would really pump up their community standards monitoring. And and then that's what Twitter did, basically, immediately right. afterwards. <laughs> so that's not actually, I think, their end game. Um, it's not like they just haven't thought through it. They want the actual, like, maximal extent Section 230, and they think they'll get it by removing 230. Uh, they, near as I can tell from what Trump says, and I might be wrong, feel free to tell me if I am, but Trump thinks that them deciding anything on content is exercising editorial control and that they're no longer a... Uh, like a completely free pump of information. Like your phone company uh, has to legally transfer anything over its wires. It, it doesn't get any say in what's on them. It can't listen to them. It can't do any sort uh, of judgment on them. Even if you want to like plan a murder over their, their phone network, they are not allowed to do anything to like interfere with that. And that's what he's looking for from Twitter. He doesn't want anybody to call him on his bullshit. Uh, they're saying by repealing the Section 230, you know, they're going to shut them down. What they really want them to do is not exercise any editorial control whatsoever and let everything be posted, and then they wouldn't be complaining. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there is a kind of plausibility to that. Yeah. And the, the weird thing is, is not too recently, Democrats were very much in favor of, of checking on Section 230, specifically because of things like what Trump posts on Twitter. <laughs> now, they, they really, in fact, Biden himself specifically made a thing of this uh, back last winter, like in January or December or something like that. Uh, so, so it's a weird, awkward message, and I think the only way you are able to really parse that is that Trump doesn't actually want to take away Section 230. He wants to turn them into utilities and not private businesses. He, he wants to take away any judgment that they have and turn them into just a, a dumb carrier with no control whatsoever over the services they provide. Hmm. I mean, has he really thought that far ahead or do you, I mean, I feel like it's got to be on some level. He just wants do what I say, whether, yeah, whether it's. He wasn't talking about all the shit when Twitter wasn't fact checking him. He'd get angry about it when people talked about how they should, but he never went after him. Well, I, I I think if Twitter were to do something like say fact checking, say Bernie Sanders account or something like that, he probably wouldn't have a problem with it. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He he benefits and really does seem to understand that he has to try and drive distrust in like the media and whatnot. And he aligned with Bernie Sanders in a lot of things in both primaries, 
specifically because it, you know, culture, distrust, and media. I can mm. see him taking Bernie's side in that just to drive home the larger point. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't tend to think that Trump himself carefully thinks through much of anything, you know, just based on the pattern I've seen over the last few years. But I do think it's, uh, you could certainly see him saying to aides, like, we got to do something, find me something to do. And somebody who has thought about this and what a yeah what they would like to have happen put it before him. Yeah, that's kind of what it would feel like to me. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really hoping we don't go down into like a full on 1968 scenario. I really don't. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good thing to live through. <laughs> No, it's weird, though, because I do kind of romanticize that era. Um, like a lot of the, uh, the Bob Dylan protest songs and, you know, the causes, the fact that something like the Symbionese Liberation Army could legitimately be a thing, just like <laughs> speaks to a different era of society that is, is kind of romantic in my eyes. And, you know, but when you're actually living through it, man, it's, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Is there really anything else that was in the topic thread? I think it was really just the protest. I mean, yeah, it's kind of seized everything. I mean, it's the first thing that's major. That's not coronavirus. I feel in months. Uh, it, deaths from it too did you guys see the uh federal uh federal security guard in at the oakland federal courthouse was shot and killed two of them were shot one died oh my god it's it's a little weird I, so they're not willing to say it was part of the protest at this point but it was during the protest and a van came up and the media reports i saw where three people got out took aim at the security officers fired repeatedly got back in the van and drove off. Uh, so suspicious as hell. Yeah. Like agitprop sort of stuff. Like, yeah, either that or just, you know, a gang who had a, you know, neck to pick with the, uh, the courthouse decided to strike when the striking was good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, lots of unanswered questions. I think, have we um, talked yet about the kind of the multiple indications that there definitely is some right-wing agitation involved in this? Uh, we haven't talked about it on the show. We can. Um, yeah. I, I suspect that that is a little bit uh, overblown. I, I don't dispute that it's like a thing that is happening, but I think the overall effect is not nearly as big as the maximal argument would have you. I mean that that they're organizing it, yeah, or that this is like orchestrated by a bunch of white supremacists. I, I think that mm -hmm. you know, in a group of, of eight thousand people, you have a dude who comes in from out of state and smashes up some windows and leaves. That's perfectly plausible. But I don't think anybody is pulling the strings to like ignite a race war right now. Yeah, I don't think that would be the the maximum. Yeah, I don't think that would be the typical claim yeah that's definitely more the maximalist end of it but i mean there's a hell of a lot of documentation of 
white nationalists and others, you know, present at oh, these yeah. and oh. being identified as the people that are particularly agitating for violence. Yeah, and the, yeah. the Patriot uh, Prayer Group does the, the same thing here pretty often. I'm, I'm familiar with the tactics. I just, mm-hmm. and I guess that might be some of it because this is more of a mundane thing. Because the Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer are like homegrown Portland things, or we have to deal with them nearly constantly. Yeah. Um, I, I might just be oversaturated to that. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, yeah, those assholes, they don't do anything. Uh, so I might be overcorrecting just because it's something that I'm deeply familiar with and it's more exotic and new, I think, when you compare it to places like the protest in Minneapolis. Yeah, that that's fair. The, but yeah, I think it, it doesn't take a whole lot, I would say, to tip what would be an ordinarily nonviolent protest into something that's definitely more, I guess, more dramatic and more likely to generate negative headlines and things like that. And I would think a few well-placed agitators would probably be able to tip the balance pretty heavily. You know, it just. Yeah, but I feel they're always there. I mean, maybe this is another thing where I interact mm-hmm. with a fucking black block anarchist basically every day of my life before quarantine. They're sure. Here. Yeah. They hang out in Pioneer Square. They light flags right. on fire. They occasionally throw a rock through the courthouse. They're, they're just a background fact of life in Portland. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so, I mean, maybe people are able to get riled up about them. You know, maybe Minneapolis doesn't have an anarchist collective that, like, hands out literature and shit. Uh, so they're able to get swept in. But I really feel like, you know, for a good Portland protest, you know who the anarchists are. Yeah. Uh, what I do think is highly likely is that people who are. LARPing, uh, you know, the white nationalist race war rhetoric are wanting to go do those things. They're going out there and trying. A lot of them are getting caught. There have been a bunch of videos uh, of anti-fascist organizers that, like, track and monitor neo-Nazis, like, confronting them at the protest and, and shit and comparing photos of them and, you know, documenting their blogs to them and whatnot. Like, these people seem to be well identified, so... I imagine it works roughly the same in Minnesota that it does in in Portland. I think a lot of this is just the news media doesn't interact with like anarchists very often. You know, sure. Live in Manhattan. If you, you know, make a million dollars a year, you generally not always. Some people make an effort to reach out to to these sorts of people, but you don't really interact with an anarchist or a Marxist-Leninist. I see those people all the fucking time. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm I'm probably contrarian in this though because uh, <laughs> let's let's rope Chris in here because Chris, you actually have documented quite a bit of evidence that white nationalists are getting involved in there. So, defend the position instead of just letting me shit all over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the reason I mean besides the evidence. There is clearly some level of this happening, right? So the question is, is it is it a very fringe element? Is it maybe a more key element in some places? It, a lot of this seems to be coming out of Minneapolis. I don't know why I can't say the name of this city now. <laughs> Minneapolis. Minneapolis, home of Prince. Husker do. Go. Um, 
And I guess one of the reasons I find this plausible is because it's the current version of it is maybe more like neo-Nazi groups and uh, and militia groups. But, you know, going back to the 60s, this was a well-known tactic of getting into demonstrations and actually making them unruly in order to have an excuse to crack down on them. Like we we know this is has been regularly done. And the thing that kind of unnerves me about it is it just feels like it feels like the kind of seeding of unrest that you often see in kind of like run ups to fascism. Reichstag moment kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Brown shirts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The um is there anything going on in Vermont, Chris? Like the um, uh, we, in terms of the protest, has anything happened in Burlington? I guess that's the closest thing you have to a city. Yeah, we had um a friend of mine was organizing something in Middlebury the other day and I wasn't able to make it, but you know, I can't imagine they did too much more than kind of congregate on the main bridge through town. So I don't <laughs> I don't have any indications that that turned unruly. And there was something, I believe, in Burlington today, and I don't think that turned unruly at all either. Um, what I did mention on the group earlier is that my wife, who was originally from Rochester, New York, was kind of following the feet of a protest there. And that protest is basically totally collapsed into like tear gas and rubber bullets and yeah pepper bombs and one of the things that was actually striking to me in these protests was how much journalists were actively targeted uh cnn had a crew in, including an on-air reporter arrested while reporting like while yeah. on air uh the police said they weren't aware he was a cameraman or he wasn't aware he was a film crew he wasn't aware he was media i mean he was arrested on air they have him on tape explaining to the cops that he's media and, you know, if he's not media, where the fuck did this camera crew come from? So you don't walk around with a CNN camera crew if you're not CNN. Uh, there was a, a film in, out of Louisville last night that was astonishing to me, where the cop takes active aim at reporters and cameramen, stares at them down the barrel before firing pepper bullets at them, breaks the camera. Yeah. There's an independent journalist from uh, from Nashville who is now blind in one eye because they shot her in the face with a rubber bullet. She's permanently blind in the eye. They are actively targeting the medians in some of these. Yeah, and I guess that's what... So, all right, so many things unnerve me. Another thing about this that really... So I, I don't think there is like a nationwide orchestrated conspiracy, right? What I do think is, th- is that as we've had many indications over the past 10 years, say, mm-hmm. that there are the police force, let us say, <laughs> has a home within it for people with white supremacist leanings, has a home within it for people with militia leanings. Like, you know, you find multiple cases of that. And when individual cases pop up, maybe the person involved gets disciplined. But we know that in general, like there there is some amount of that culture in the police culture. Okay. meanwhile, what have we been hearing for the past three years that people like this are going to believe? 
The press is the enemy of the people. But, uh, what did Hitler call it? It was the German equivalent of a lying press, the Lugan press? Yes, right. Yeah. A lot of the same notes being struck in history here. All right. Well, I guess that's just about going to do it for this week. Uh, <laughs> this is a pretty grim week. Yeah. It's always a, a grim note ended on. Lately. It's falling apart, man. At the seams, mm-hmm. it's really coming apart. This isn't so much a country anymore. Uh, Sarah Silverman, I think it was, had the quip that they should really stop or just start calling it the states of of America. I, I think that fit. We're really not yeah. united anymore. Although I wouldn't say the divide is, is state lines. I mean, we see plenty of cases where cities are totally divided. Uh, right. It's just, Starting to think, unironically, my kids might see a Greater Cascadia one day. It's yeah. not just like a gag or a throwaway joke, uh, joke or something. It really seems to be something we're we're looking at. Just just the collapse of the things that yeah make this a united polity or a manageable polity yeah. of three hundred million people. Mm-hmm. We've let the gaps between us grow so big we can no longer bridge them, and a lot of it yeah. was done by just ignoring a lot of these underserved communities by assuming that they had to adjust to you, that this wasn't a a communal effort where you both had to bridge these divides, that you could do your thing and everybody else would adjust to it. And, you know, 40, 50 years of that have shown what happens. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, on that wonderfully depressing note, I hope you have a country next week. See you guys later. Yeah. (laughs) See ya. Yeah, let's definitely check in on that. (laughs) You'll hear it here first if we collapse. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.